What would you do if you had a hundred and I don't know, fourteen million people watching you? What 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 would you do? How, how would you handle that, Tim? Uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a lot of people. And if four million more watched at halftime, that's what Rihanna had. One hundred eighteen million people watched Rihanna at halftime uh, during the Super Bowl. I don't know where that is. I, I know it's a little higher than last year's with the um, the LA crew, but. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, great. Super I mean, Bowl. clearly you build your craft over time and as many, and as long as it took her to get to that place, there's probably just as a uh, hundred times as many more uh, times that she uh, performed in front of 17 or 117 people. So uh, sometimes they say the small crowds are harder than the big crowds. As a wrestling fan, obviously, um, there's a lot of like independent wrestling uh, organizations, and like they'll play, uh, they'll wrestle at like high school. So those they'll uh, wrestle at like Deshaun's gym, basically, and there'll right. be 50 people there. And apparently, that's a lot harder than performing in front of 10,000 people. Um, did you know Rihanna's afraid of heights? Though I thought uh, hearing that stat was uh, an interesting thing. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, well, she played it off well. I, I would love to know, like. Uh... When you make something look so easy, how many hours of rehearsal went into it? Uh, oh, usually like I mean, four or five months. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And so I, I never watched, and I should watch this, but did the J-Lo documentary. Yeah. Is that what it was? The J-Lo documentary on, on her halftime show. But a lot of times it's four or five months beforehand before they do it. Hmm. Um so it, it, it's wild. Today we're, we're we're joined by Brian Owens, a great performer in his own. Um do you remember your like ever your very first ever performance, Brian? Um, do I? I don't remember my <clears throat> very first ever performance, but I remember my very first ever performance in a crowd bigger than two hundred. And yeah, it it, it can be uh, nerve wracking. What wow. did you do to prevent or you know to try and get through that? Because I know what I would used to do. I used to like maybe go to the bar beforehand and get a couple of drinks so that I could <laughs> kind of like soothe through that, but. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, do that now, but but back then, that's probably what I would have done. No, I don't avoid it, actually. I use it to fuel the performance. I use it to propel. Like, getting that feeling, getting those butterflies, that's an important part of the process. What's the biggest uh, – do you have any idea what the biggest audience is that you've uh, performed or been in front of? Uh, it was a few thousand. It was a festival audience. Play uh, music at that point or yeah, – Play music. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, that's um did you have so did you have any idea going into that or was it like uh you go out on stage and then you're like ah oh no no I knew I saw the crowd gathering all day um and I saw some of the opening acts and I knew it was gonna be a large crowd and you know what Zach says is right uh sometimes the smaller crowds are more difficult than the larger crowds people in larger crowds want to move together. They want to experience something together. If you tell them, command them all to do something, they'll likely go along with it. But in a crowd of 12 <laughs> telling them to put their hands up, it's not necessarily the same energy. Yeah, that, that would be tough. I think that uh, doing the private party type of really intimate settings, that would be, uh, that'd be, that'd be really tough. And it's, but it's part of the process, but it's, um, that's interesting. Jay Billis, the uh, former Duke Center, and now he's a, a commentator. He he has a book, and in his book, I think this is in his book. Um, he early on in his career was doing play by play or um, the color commentary for uh, a game, and it was like on ESPN three, which is basically ESPN the Ocho. It was two no name schools, like Monroeville State University versus. Um, whoever, you know, .com, universe, whatever. And he was really enthusiastic about it, was really getting into it. And, you know, smaller venue, smaller crowd. And someone asked him, why are you so invested into this? And it was two answers. And one of it was like to get better at the craft. But then also the people that are watching this really want to watch it. And I shouldn't underperform. I should give them what they're looking for. And I thought that was really interesting because so many people will look at the at, at the stadium, whatever size that is, and be like, well, if it's not big, it sucks. 
I'm not going to, I'm only going to, I'm only going to give my A game if the A game, a, a game crowd shows up. And so even if there's, you know, 12 people at a wrestling match or, or 12 people at, at Brian Owens's you know, a, a first performance, give them all because those people will then tell their friends and 12 turns to 24, 24 to 48. Next thing you know, you got thousands of people at your shows. And I, and I think that's an, that's a, that's a valuable lesson that you should constantly be giving your a game, no matter the size of the audience. Yeah. I never really had that, that uh, ego bit because I had thought about performing in front of a crowd for so many years and thought about it since even as a child. So the fact that my first crowd got to be like 17 or so, like, I was so just ecstatic about each and every one of them. Just the thought that like people want to watch me perform. People will sit here for as long as I'm performing and enjoy themselves. It could have been three. I would have been just, just as blown away. I was just uh, happy to be living a portion of my dream on any level. It's interesting. I um, recently uh, did a, took a, I was part of a tour of the uh, state capitol in Richmond. Hmm. And uh, this, the tour guide, I mean, he was, dude, he was amazing. I mean, like he was so quirky and uh, I mean, it was just, it was probably one of the best tour guides that I, that I've ever seen. I, I don't have a ton of tours that I've been on, but um, one of the things that he had said at the end or some, cause someone asked him, how long have you been doing this? And he said, Oh, you know, 20, a little over 20 years. Wow. And um, and he said the attitude that he has is that he treats every single day as that it's his first day going to work. And I thought that was really, really profound in the sense of, uh, you know, show to your point, Brian, showing that enthusiasm, just being so appreciative of the, the opportunity that's been pre uh, presented to you. And, and as we transition to business, but the same thing holds true in terms of performers. I mean, it's just when the performers are on stage and they're not having fun, it is, it just shows so much. And then the crowd doesn't have fun either. Um, so it's so important to, to enjoy the moment and, and, and have that appreciation show through. You know, people get so angry about like getting out of that honeymoon phase. And I feel like what he's saying is he's constantly in the honeymoon phase, yeah, which is yeah. so important. Cause like we, we love business the first three months and then it's like, oh, screw this. This sucks. <laughs> I hate doing this relationships, jobs. Like it, it's, it's all like that. We love the honeymoon phase. We love posting about it on LinkedIn. And then once we actually realize that we're three months in, it's like, I hate this, but I love that. I, I love that thought process of, of the quirky Virginia capital tour guide. Uh, yeah. Do you remember his name? I, yeah, I, I, I'm blanking on it right now. But I, I seriously, I, I, when I got back home, I was like telling my wife, I was like, I want, we got to go. And I, we, I only want to take you if we can have this tour guide because he was just, uh, he was awesome. Whether it's, you know, performing or whether it's business, I think really what we're talking about is keeping your why close. And if your why is not close by, then the audience sees it when you're performing and people who you're talking to your business, talking business uh, with will also catch that same energy. Yeah. And, and you've, you, I, well, are, do you still perform at all or did you, are, are you just on the, just focused on business right now? No, I, I'm, I don't perform anymore. Uh, every once in a while I'll be out and about in Virginia beach or Norfolk. And like, I'll see some of my own bandmates performing and like they might pull me on stage for a song or two but like I know I don't uh, I don't perform out there anymore but I do help younger performers uh, position them to be able to get more performances and help them uh, roll out their music and stuff like that I'm more on the back end now that's fascinating within itself because that, I mean like just the, there's a that's a whole process I, I mean it's just really what people don't realize is when you're a musician like that, I mean, you are, you are a business and you are the, the business. And there's, there's so many things that translate there. Yeah. And it's, it's easier now because uh, when I was a full-time artist, I was my own manager. 
So I had to do all of the business stuff. I had to set up contracts with the venues. I had to go out there and do my own promotion. And then I also had to write and create the music. And then I had to perform and deliver the music. So now just being able to handle some of the back end stuff and not having to worry about stepping on stage and blowing a crowd's mind, it's a lot easier. It, it seems like almost unfair how much easier it is now. Yeah, and it's just like what, what people don't realize, like you, you hear the name like Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Pharrell, they have teams of people. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how many people. I mean, it is just a big, big machine that is making that operation run from studio to promotion to touring. I mean, just even like with the news uh, yesterday with uh, Pharrell with Louis Vuitton. I mean, is it, that's just that's more than just Pharrell. I mean, there's he's going to have a team of people working with him to uh, to pull something like that off. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited about that Pharrell Louis Vuitton move as well. Um, him officially taking Virgil Abloh's place who was so brilliant in his own right, but loving to see one of the sons of the 757 step up into really one of the largest companies on earth. LVMH is, is gigantic. Yeah, I think that uh, I read something that uh, they, they first luxury brand to surpass 10 billion in sales or something like that. I know 10 billion was a, was a number, but yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And then uh, the the owner of LVMH is always like one, two, or three richest men on the planet, depending on the depending on the date. Yeah, that's super wild. I, 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 yeah, I'll be really, really interested to uh, to see what kind of designs that Pharrell comes out with. Well, he's high in fashion already. I mean, you see him in like yeah, he turns a NASA jacket into something that's like, oh, I should probably buy that. And I'm not in any of that kind of stuff. So I mean, like, it's just he. I love his swagger. I love that he wears shorts, by the way. I, I, the, the, he he does have a lot of like, just very. Um, I mean, he's an anomaly, and I and I and I appreciate that. And and his his style is is really cool and hip. And I think a lot of people might be afraid of his style, but uh, I feel like he rocks it really well. And hopefully, the um, him getting into this will um, get other people to step out of their comfort zones and and wear some some wild outfits. Yeah, and in the 2000s, uh, Pharrell was over in in Japan a lot in Tokyo, and he was bringing back Nigo designs to America. So that's where <clears throat> that's where we got a bathing ape from, and that whole clothing line. And people in Virginia were wearing it a lot, and it really set me up for success because when I went over to Tokyo on a music tour as an artist, I would say they would ask me where I'm from, and I'd be like Virginia, like we don't know where that is. They'd be like Pharrell, and they're like, oh yeah, we know exactly where you're from. <laughs> Man, that's cool. That's, that's cool. I didn't realize that you uh, that you had went overseas to uh, to play. And it's the crazy thing is, man, it's such a cl cliche thing to say. You know, I was really big in Japan. And I was just like, why, 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 why is that the case? Um, man, because in Japan, so I was over there performing hip hop, but like live hip hop with a band. And uh, I sent over music I produced and my guy Mike put a band together. Half the band didn't even speak English. Um, but we all spoke music. And when you get over there, they respect all music artists. As a rapper in the 757, everybody thinks they can rap. So you're doing something that everybody and their mom thinks that they can do. And they think they can do it well and be successful at it. But in Japan, people accept uh, and commit to their roles. So they don't think that they're artists. Not everybody thinks they can do this and they show a reverence to artists. They treat rappers and singers who come to Tokyo the same with the same level as res of respect as like a jazz artist or a classical pianist. They look at it all as art and they understand uh, the mindset and the effort that goes into it and they really respect it. They really appreciate it. Not like here in the States all the time. Yeah, I wish that um, locally, I wish there was a little bit more support for our own local, uh, local artists. Um, what did Pusher, is it Pusher T that said it? He's yeah. like, we have to release music other places because people here don't want to listen to it? Did yeah. And it's an elephant in the room or something? What? Yeah, it's, he's correct. He's 100% correct. It's not, it's, I mean, you don't have to leave forever, but you do have to travel. 
you do have to get out there because when I did work overseas, that is the most notoriety that I've gained in Virginia Beach was going overseas. And I had done shows in Virginia Beach. I had put together showcases in Virginia Beach. I had done shows for nonprofits out here. I did a fundraising show for CHKD. Um, we had played the Norva, but not until we left and went to another country did we get the most notoriety right here back home. So you Why do you do think that is? Um, people, people need to see People need to see it legitimized. There is not a, a tough barrier of entry to get on stage here. There's open mics every single day. There's showcases and even some shows that you can just pay to be on. You talk to the promoter, give them a couple hundred, you can get on a show. So people in 757 need to see some type of legitimacy, some type of proof of concept outside of the 20 people you went to high school with. And if you can, if your music can carry you to another country, then that is a sign that you're doing it on another level and then they can have that sense of legitimacy about your art. Is that the same with business? I was going to ask the same question. Yeah, when that's 100% the same with business. Um, when I took my tech firm out to Nashville and we were in a Google Accelerator where we lived in Nashville for the first week of every month for a year, um, that increased our legitimacy back home tenfold. Uh, and then just traveling around, you know, we were pitching VC. So we were out in, you know, DC, New York, California. Uh, people just being aware of those moves absolutely uh, establishes some credibility. But that's just amongst the, the viewing audience, which you can really capitalize on in music. Uh, but because we were going private equity uh, at that time in business, it wasn't the same type of capitalization. I couldn't necessarily take that uh, people really believing in it and monetize that. What, uh, so what, so you've been a performer, you've been in a startup, you've raised some capital, and then you transitioned to, to B-Force Accelerator. What, what prompted that, that transition? Um, so when going from accelerator to accelerator uh, with the tech firm, not only was I going to the accelerators to build my company, but... Uh, I was also very curious. I've always been curious. So I was always wondering about the back end of these accelerators. How are you guys able to offer so much help to people? How are you able to source all of these mentors? Uh, how are you able to budget all of these things? And I was always interested in the back end. Then um, when the NSU Innovation Center was starting to be built, Akosha, who is now their program manager, uh, would call and ask about my experience in incubators and accelerators because she's doing her due diligence and customer discovery and making sure that she's leaning on the advice of, of the experts around her. Uh, then when the Innovation Center opened, uh, they asked me to come be a consultant, which I never had considered being a business consultant before. And I was like, well, what does that, what do I do as a business consultant? And when they explained it to me, I'm like, oh, that's everything that I've already done. This is everything that I had to build from the ground up and I have personal experience with. So yeah, I can, I can tell somebody how to do it. I just did it. So uh, I came on as a consultant in the NSU Innovation Center uh, and then my second consulting job was with Black Brand, uh, B-Force Accelerator, where I was just a lead consultant. But the lead consultant, the lead consulting was going so well, and we were seeing such good results that uh, Blair Durham asked me to step up and run the program as they transition it from a traditional tech highly scalable focused accelerator to bringing that tech accelerator model right where the underserved community needs it most, right there for Main Street businesses, for online businesses, for nonprofits, being industry agnostic and trying to get the biggest impact we can in Hampton Roads. And you guys are on fire. I mean, it's just, uh, you're gaining a lot of momentum. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with, with Black Brand and uh, B-Force, Give us a give us a quick overview. Yeah, cool. So Black Brand 
important is uh, the Hampton Roads Regional Black Chamber of Commerce. So the reason that Black Brand exists is to help close that wealth gap uh, that exists when we're talking about the Black community in America and to close that wealth gap by supporting all things entrepreneurship. Uh, so if you are an entrepreneur in the Hampton Roads area, uh, of any ethnicity, you should definitely look into joining Black Brand, that Black Hampton Roads Regional Chamber of Commerce, uh, by going to blackbrand.biz. Now, B-Force Accelerator is one of Black Brand's programs. Uh, like most accelerators, B-Force Accelerator is a 12-week program uh, developed to speed up the growth of your business, hence accelerator. Uh, we offer workshops every single week where we bring in experts of all kind to help entrepreneurs uh, solve their day-to-day -day business issues and business structure issues. In addition to the workshops, we provide them, and I think this is the important piece, with a one-on-one -on -one business consultant who will stick with them for the whole 12 weeks. They'll be meeting every single week, helping them develop their business plan, uh, their income statement, their profit and loss, five-year financial projections, everything that they would need to access capital. Because at the end of the day, the purpose of before accelerator is to specifically close the gap in access to capital and then on top of the workshops and their lead consultant they will also have access to uh, an army of experts that we call our specialty consultants this includes a team of lawyers that will help them with actual deliverables not advice not mentorship literal deliverables. They will leave with their contracts reviewed, edited, and changed. Uh, they will leave with a new business structure. If that's what they decided to do with their lawyer, they'll talk to CPAs and they will leave with their actual financial documents with CPAs who walk them through how to develop these financial documents. We have web developers if they need a new website, uh, graphic design folks if they need new logos, uh, videographers, if they're looking for social media spots or commercials, if there's an aspect of business, we have an expert there that will help them with actual practical steps and real deliverables. What's in it for the for the expert? What's in it for the consultant that's doing that? Are they getting paid to do this work from you guys, not the company? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we definitely pay all of our consultants and we are not lowballing our consultants. We pay them the industry standard consulting fee. So we make sure to take care of our experts. We're not asking them to come in and do us favors. We're making sure we're taking care of them because B-Force is twofold. Nine, over 95% of the experts, the lawyers and CPAs that come in are black and brown people, people of color. So while we're developing uh, the underserved community by allowing 40 businesses in to get that growth, we're also helping these consultants by one, giving them obviously more work, more opportunity, two, giving them access to the network of all of our specialty consultants. And our consultants are free uh, to join us in these workshops. So if you are a graphic design consultant, you may come into a legal workshop or a government contracting workshop, learn something new and be able to create new revenue streams on your own. And this is not just hypothetical or theory. We've seen this time and time again, where our consultants businesses grow as a result of B-Force Accelerator. Yeah, it's super that has the energy is super cool. I mean, it, it's just, is it at Norfolk state? Is that where it is? Uh, so no, uh, B force accelerator is run out of the black brand offices in downtown Norfolk. That's five twenty East main street right there in the heart of downtown Norfolk. However, those are for our Norfolk cohorts. We that, that's not the Norfolk state building. No, that's no, right across not. the street from the Marriott. Yeah. So, um, NSU innovation center, and black brand actually share a wall. We're right next to each other. So as you walk down Main Street, gathers on your left, then you'll see the big Norfolk State Innovation Center stickers. And then if you keep walking just a few more steps, you'll see all of the black brand stickers and the B-Force Accelerator stickers on the window. So yeah, we're right next to them, absolutely. But like, like I said, that's just for the Norfolk cohort. When we launch our Portsmouth cohort, which will happen next 
next month, by the way, applications mm. open at blackbrand.biz <laughs> if you are a Portsmouth business owner. Um, we'll launch the Portsmouth. Check us out at the merch tent. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to follow and subscribe. Um, yeah, yeah uh, but for the Portsmouth cohort, we'll be operating out of gloom because of our partnership oh, with sweet. Portsmouth partnership. So the Portsmouth businesses will not have to come to Norfolk. We'll be right there on High Street at Bloom Co-working. And then when we launch our Virginia Beach uh, B-Force Accelerator here in the fall, we'll be running it out of the hive, which if you guys, I'm sure you, I know that you all have been there, but if anybody is wondering where it is, it's the old Virginian pilot building in town center uh, on the corner, which is essentially uh, Virginia Beach Economic Development Authority. So I think it's interesting. I think it's BS that... Our region, I well, I, and I don't know that, you know, I don't know that Brian knows this about me, but I think it's ridiculous that like we have so many cities that people won't travel 10 minutes to go somewhere and things like that. It seems like you are um, adding fuel to that fire by doing it in different locations um, around the region. Um, I feel like we lack, and still to this day, and I've been saying this for 11 years, we lack extreme density, um, which is maybe our biggest deterrent from a growth perspective compared to other cities. Mm. Yet you are adding fuel to the fire by doing one in Portsmouth, doing one in Virginia Beach. You got one in Norfolk. The next thing you know, it's going to be Williamsburg and Newport News and Suffolk and Franklin and, and everywhere. <laughs> right. Why? Like, do you disagree with that statement that, like, we need more density? Don't you think all those people together is a good thing? Like, wh like what's the what's the reasoning to have these things in, in different locations instead of bringing them all in one centralized location? So I'm glad you brought that up, actually, um, because I do fully agree with you. I think that one of the deepest issues in the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Hampton Roads is the siloing of resources. And I don't even think that's just done by city lines. I think the siloing of resources is organizations not getting out of their own offices to uh, collaborate with other organizations. I think that the siloing of resources happens because of small networks and pockets and good old boys clubs. Um, but the reason that we do city by city cohorts is one, um, the funders. So Ro the Rockefeller Foundation has targeted Norfolk as well as 10 or 12 other cities in America where they believe that an investment there will be an explosion uh, in the minority business community. They've targeted other areas such as Atlanta and Chicago. And those are based on the studies that they have done uh, that say that these targeting these cities will have the greatest results. But it's not just about the funders and what it's also we're helping businesses access the resources that they need and unfortunately or fortunately however you look at it there are certain resources that are designated to city what the norfolk economic development authority has in the terms of grants in terms of getting people into commercial spaces in terms of getting them access to loans that have flexible underwriting they are doing specifically to the city of norfolk so in order to be able to get a group of people who can be able to benefit from those resources they have to be within those boundaries so when we do portsmouth we'll be working hands-on with the portsmouth economic development authority and any grants or commercial space programs that they have we'll be connecting that portsmouth cohort directly to and same thing with virginia beach we'll be doing it in the virginia beach economic development authority so we want to make sure that we're getting them the resources that are targeted for them however we will have uh we have thought about that and in order to address that Instead of doing a graduation landing ceremony for each individual cohort, we will do two this year so we can combine the cities, bring them all in one room together, and make sure they're all benefiting from that uh, networking and from that resource fair. I asked Blair this when I first met her 2017. We talked about it when we were on stage at Mighty Dream Forum, but use the word that I was going to use. So siloing. Let's talk about siloing from the perspective 
of what we just talked about, but incorporating the black founders in with the rest of the community. Because it seems, though, that when you do something that's so specific to a very specific group, how do you then bring them back in so that it's not just a silo there? Um, because I think to the outside world, it's just like, this is a thing for black founders and black people and that's it. But I don't think that's what you guys want to do and you want to bring them uh, together. But how do you make sure and ensure that you're not siloing and that you do incorporate it in, so that all the numbers are, are, are going up? Yeah, 100%. Well, that's one of the first things that I addressed uh, when I took this role as program manager. Um, one of the very first things I wanted to attack was the siloing of resources, because I think that uh, creates a stagnant environment in Hampton Roads, which is why uh, I came up with the Connecting Flights Resource Fair. Having 757 Accelerate Hampton Roads Workforce Council, having all the different city EDAs come to one place, having VIPC and having all of these business development organizations and these CDFIs come into one room and inviting the entire community to it, opening up the doors, not just for our graduates, but for literally anyone who wants to come and put them all in one place, not only to be able to serve the community, but to be able to meet one another and collaborate with one another. You would be shocked at how many uh, startup communities and business development organizations and funding organizations have no idea that each other exist. So the Connecting Flights Resource Fair was really the first step in that. But when businesses are in B-Force Accelerator, we create a roadmap for them for a year or two of the programs that they'll go to after they leave B-Force. I didn't want B-Force to be a one and done, like here's 12 weeks now, go back out in the world and be great. I really want them to go from B-Force, then transfer over to the VWIC program in Hampton University for as many weeks as it takes them to complete that, and then go from there to the Veterans Business Outreach Center, uh, sponsored by ODU, because you don't have to be a veteran to be in the Veterans Business Outreach Center, just like you don't have to be a woman to take advantage of the Women's Business Center, just like you don't have to be Black to take advantage of Black brand. These are just organizations that are targeting underserved areas, but we would never deny anybody entrance on the basis of ethnicity, just like these other organizations even though they target certain audiences, would never deny folks on the basis that they are not a part of the community they're targeting. So I want to make sure to highlight that both on this show and throughout uh, the B-Force program. We really make sure that this is a continuous journey and not just, uh, okay, give us all the Black entrepreneurs. We're going to keep them here under our hand. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely, there, there is such a, some... Uh, well, not to some extent, but there, there, there is a, a a little bit of that that goes on within the region. But uh, and and I think that's awesome that you that everyone is welcome. I mean, is no one no one ever wants to be not invited. Everybody wants to be included. If you want to grow a community, and you all do a really really great job of that, and I'm always super super appreciative whenever I get the invite to uh, to participate in some events that you guys have going on there. Yeah, and I love when you I love when you come because you number one you bring the energy, but two once again it's important for us to break down these walls between us. It's important for us to break the siloing, and I'm I'm really glad that uh, Zach brought that up because I don't want that uh, to be a misconception um, when we say black business owners and black brand. It is not because we want to exclude all others but black folks. It's that we are open to everyone, but unabashedly targeting a community that has been underserved and attacked. While we're not excluding, we are making sure that we're delivering the medicine to the affected area. What, um, you had mentioned Rockefeller. Um, what are, so is that your primary source of funding is through uh, corporate sponsorships? Um, yeah, 100%. Our primary source of funding is through corporate sponsorships. Um, so Rockefeller Foundation, uh, Centera, 
truest. We have a, a ton of corporate sponsors that come in uh, because they also believe in the mission. They also see that there's a disparity between uh, minority entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs, and they know why that disparity exists. I think we're at a point in America where we don't have to argue anymore about why the disparity exists and then just get to the good work of fixing them. And that's what I love so much about entrepreneurship. It's just about everybody rolling up their sleeves and helping each other succeed or, or, or find the next level of achievement. Absolutely. And when we invite you, Tim, or uh, our other, when we invite Evans in from the 757 crew or whoever we invite in, um, it's all about being around like-minded people. Um, and when you're around like-minded people, whether they look like you or not, it definitely is rocket fuel in your engine of progress going forward. I'm, I'm interested since you brought up Evans and the 757 Accelerate, what, what is that like? A lot of people on the surface who aren't in the end would think that those two things are competitors. Is there a battle uh, of, of two companies there? Are you guys working together? Like how, how, does, how does that work? I have found that in the past, personally through my stuff that when I did something, a lot of other people were trying to beat the living crap out of my business and wanted to see it fail. Um, right. That had very similar things to what a hatch was uh, per se. And so are you seeing that that is similar or have people maybe grown up and aren't, aren't acting so babyish at this point? <laughs> so I, I have heard. And it doesn't, about... I, it doesn't have to just be accelerate. I'm not saying just accelerate. I'm just saying, in general organizations across the region that are, you know, quote unquote similar. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that there has been that spirit of competition and I think that that has really led to a lot of the siloing that we've com been complaining about in Hampton roads for as long as I can remember. But luckily I don't come from the business development world. I don't come from the consulting world. I come from the world of entrepreneurship. I come from the world of getting it done and making it happen. So when I took the role as program director, I didn't have any of these hangups and I wasn't in any of the politics. And one of my first missions was to make sure that I call all of the other organizations uh, around me and make sure that we're collaborating, make sure that we're funneling people back and forth to make sure that we have a roadmap of business development. So whether someone comes to me and uh, they're in the ideation phase, they're in the startup phase, they've been in business for two years, no matter where they are, I know where to send them and who they should talk to within that roadmap of our entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I found that once I just called people and was very straightforward that this is mission focused, I haven't really gotten much pushback at all. Um, I think that people are open to being collaborative it just takes folks who really want to take the initiative and say, okay, I'll organize it. You guys can come use my space. It'll be on my Zoom. Whatever the effort is that you have to put behind it, uh, not everyone wants to take that stand and make that effort, but they won't fight against it if it comes has been really my experience. And it's a long journey. Uh, it's, uh, as you know, when, uh, when you're in a business, there's there's no overnight success story. It's always a seven to 10 year overnight success story. And it, it just takes such endurance and you just got to keep on, you got to keep at it. And it takes a lot of people to help you along the way to achieve that success. And so people it takes didn't know me as being their competition, right? When I, I know Evans because she knows me as an entrepreneur. She knows me because my tech company got accepted into 757 Accelerate. Um, I knew Jim Franklin from when I was pitching everybody I knew who had capital. I knew Akosha from being an entrepreneur and her calling and asking about my experience in accelerators. I had known all of these people in the business development world from being an entrepreneur. So they didn't even look at me as like, oh, that's my competition. They knew me as Brian. So when I called, I had the, the flexibility and the luxury of being Brian rather than being the guy from that company who might take the grant that you want. Yeah, I think, I think that if we, uh, if we got to a point where there is an agreement that everybody can celebrate the successes, if you had a, even a small part in it, everybody can celebrate the success. The, the problem is, is that when people when people all want to take credit 
And next thing you know, we're triple counting, like the amount of capital raised. That Things started to get a little, uh, little screwy then. But the thing is, is that if everybody plays the same part, yeah, to me, I would like to see almost like a, a passport type of uh, concept that you, you go around to the different resources and, and you snap your, your passport, so to speak, um, so that you can take advantage of the different opportunities uh, that are available. Because it's only going to sharpen your skills. And, and you alluded to that, too, uh, in terms of, of how B-Force works and operates. Yeah, exactly. And that was a big part of me reaching out to figure out who everybody's target market was, who their ideal candidate was. So that way I can know what uh, organizations and companies are getting businesses just to the point where they would be able to be the perfect candidate for B-Force. And I can figure out which B-Force graduates uh, would be perfect candidates for some of these other organizations. But uh I do want to address one myth in this roadmap thing, which is I talk to folks and they're like, okay, let's make sure that we're not duplicating efforts. Let's make sure that we're not serving the same people so we can create like a smooth pipeline. Uh, but what I've learned after a year of being program manager is we do need organizations that duplicate efforts um, because if somebody goes through a program, the people who go through a program, they don't all graduate at 100% and they don't all get all the deliverables done. So we do need organizations duplicating efforts so that those business owners who struggled through one program can go to a similar program a little more prepared this time with some unfinished deliverables that they can just focus on sharpening. Or just even the fact that sometimes I need to hear something three times before it actually clicks. Yeah, I mean, three just different ways. In three yes, different ways. In ways. Yeah. And, and like when I uh, when someone comes to me and was like, hey, I, yeah, I need an accountant. I, that's why I'm like, hey, here's three people. Talk to all three of those people and you need to find someone that you connect with and that you 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 jive with. Because otherwise, a, a last thing you want, I want you to be in a position of uh, this accountant's telling me to do this and I don't really feel comfortable uh, yeah, I'm asking questions if this is a business expense versus a personal expense kind of thing. So yeah, I, I always recommend multiple, multiple viewpoints. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did personally as an entrepreneur, we went through some uh, accelerators that repeated efforts and duplicated uh, some of the same content, but we were learning new things, same content, different perspective. You learn new things. I think I met you at a startup night when you were pitching the business that you were talking about. Um, it was the music thing where you figure out hit songs, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, so we leveraged the neuroscience of music enjoyment to inform an algorithm that would give predictive analytics to stakeholders. So essentially figuring out hits, um, it's, it's uh, more of a likelihood than just determining hits. But, you know, there are billions of dollars to be made in a few percentage points of likelihood. Sure. So, so what happened to that? Um, so I largely cashed out of that startup. Um, there were a lot of things going on in life. My father passed. I was making some changes. Um, those guys went on to um, kind of change directions and focus more on music NFTs. Um, I still hold some interest uh, in that company, and I still talk to uh, the original principal founder, you know, once every couple of weeks. Uh, but once I started getting into the business development world and realizing the impact that my experience can really have here, um, I just fell in love with the mission. Seeing businesses come in who have never spoken to an attorney, who has never really honed in on their core competencies, that really it was just like a money-making hustle that kind of just picked up really quick, but they never got to develop the business structure to be able to predict growth or to be able to strategize about scaling. Once I saw the impact that I could have on these people, on these businesses, businesses on this community uh i i never turned back yeah it's it's super cool because and one of the things that was so evident to me uh participating a few times is just that it, it's just access to opportunity and, and the 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 chance i mean it's just it's not 
everyone's solving a problem. And that's that is a very key element and first step that you need to make sure that you're doing. But I mean, to have access to resources, I mean, that's just a game changer and it's super cool. And and to yeah. see them run with it is awesome. It's incredible access to the resources, access to the information and access to the environment. Um, there is a myth that what separates the black community uh, from growing and closing those gaps is the access to information, right? If they only had the access to information, then they would be able to. But I think that that is incomplete. I think that that's insufficient. I think it actually takes creating the environment in which to thrive, in which to feel safe and vulnerable to ask questions, in which to have people around you that are like-minded to motivate you. I really think it takes a combination of the knowledge and the environment. I always do the thought experiment that if we took two groups of people and one group of people, we gave all the information about working out and showed them how to do the perfect form and let them know exactly the way that calories burn and scientifically how that affects your body, unlimited amount of information and another group of people we gave no information whatsoever we just showed up at their door at 6 a.m and then took them on a two-mile run and worked out with them one-on-one -on -one, uh who would lose weight faster and who would get yeah. fit faster and it would definitely be the group who knew absolutely nothing that we just put them in the environment to succeed so i think that knowledge and resources are insufficient uh hands-on help and creating that environment is really what gets folks across the finish line. I was literally talking about this yesterday. It was about school. So I have a journalism degree, five years in school, paid way too much money for it, yada, yada, yada. Thought I was leaving. And I love West Virginia. So I should preface this before what I was what about to say. I loved my time at West Virginia University. However, my first week working at a TV news station, I learned more than the previous five years in, in journalism. And the difference is actually being in a deadline-based thing was completely different than, oh, you have two weeks to submit this, you know, the, this 90-second uh, um, news article, which was done by video, whatever they call that. But it's just, it's just crazy that someone knocking on your door, David Goggins knocking on your door and being like, yo, get out there and run, is very different than listening to David Goggins saying, get out there and run. And so very the, the exact same thing, except someone knocking on the door saying whatever David Goggins would say. Do you know David Goggins? Yeah, of course. I yeah. actually, um, when it, in the rare moments that I'm attempting to run, uh, I listen to David Goggins on audio while I'm doing it because he will definitely make you feel guilty for slowing yeah. down or stopping. To give you a little push that you need for sure. Yeah, when he's telling his story about like, running on broken legs with like whole body <laughs> shutting down and he's still finishing the race. You're like, you know what? Maybe this 15 minute jog isn't so bad. With a hole in his damn heart. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, you know, circling it back around though, Zach, uh, in terms of your question about the whole siloing thing, yeah, one thing that, um, became evident to me is, I mean, like access to go to locations is challenging for, for people. So if you're like, like I'm thinking back to uh, Emmanuel from last week's show. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's washing dishes at night so that he can uh, keep his, keep the startup dream alive. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure that Brian, you have founders that are working a couple jobs. They have to worry about daycare, you know, and, and like they might have taken an hour or two uh, to get, to be forced, that may not be an option. Um, and so to have things in one, like one brand, multiple locations, you can still control the, uh, the introduction of community across multiple locations. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, uh, some of our founders uh, are have children, they have daycare issues. Some of our founders are still working a nine to five while growing their businesses. And even our founders who are full-time entrepreneurs often have to work that business 16 hours a day. They don't even have time to come to the B-Force workshop. But that's exactly why every single B-Force workshop and event is hybrid. So we literally have restaurant owners who are preparing food 
in the Zoom video, but completely focused and paying attention to the workshop, engaging with the experts, asking questions about how their advice specifically applies to their business, all while still being in the work, all still while being in the field. Uh, and that's just a testament to the dedication of our founders to be focused on growing their business while not being afraid to simultaneously roll up their sleeves and do the work. It, it reminds me of when, what, 2015 timeframe, I had created 1004, which at the time was a, a platform where people once a week, every Tuesday at like 12 o'clock could come and get a seminar-based information. Did it for a year. Went great. A bunch of people showed up all the time. It was membership-based. And then I started getting the call from people saying, well, I can't come at this point. But I want the information that's that you're providing. How can I get that? And I said, well, I guess we'll record it and put it online. And so that's what we did. Sold a heck of a lot more subscriptions because of it. But it's the model that you're talking about now where it's like, you're right. Access is important. Access from a travel perspective. I'm still working on the business. Need to need to uh, need to be smart about that. And, you know, if if. If, if being able to drive five minutes to something or to, to not have to drive it all and watch it online, that's that's an important part to it. Yeah, and I, I super respect the entrepreneurs who are coming through our accelerator and have a very hands-on business like contracting work or cooking. Uh, you know, I come from the, the startup world. I come from the private equity world. It was my full-time job to be at that accelerator. It was my full-time job to be out pitching. If I also had to have the full-time job of operating a business that had cash flow and was moving product at the same time, I mean, that would have been that would have been nightmarish. And a lot of these founders walk through that nightmare in order to achieve their dreams. As uh, as people listen to this and they're and they're inspired, and they want to get involved. Um, tell us how they can get involved. But at the same time, I, me personally, I think that a really, really cool activity that you all do. And it would be a great way to get involved. Talk to us about. The, the cash mob activities that you guys do. That is so awesome, man. I, I love it. And, and, and share us about that. Yeah, no problem. Well, first of all, anybody who wants to get involved can go to blackbrand.biz. You see it right there at the bottom, uh, blackbrand.biz, and you can contact any of us. Also, I am a resource for Hampton Roads. You can literally contact me directly at any time. Uh, anybody watching this, my phone number is 757 782-7967. I'm so serious. You can text me and say, Brian, I saw the video. How can I get involved? How can I volunteer? How can I help? How can I get into B-Force? Whatever you want, I'm an open book and I will help guide you through this black brand thing. Now, as far as the cash mobs go, yes, yeah, super excited for those. For those people who don't know, a cash mob is where uh, we as a group take one day over the course of three hours and we all commit to spending $20 at a minority owned business. Um, hence the term cash mob, because we are mobbing that business with cash. Uh, and that's twofold. That's it really, it's threefold. It's helping that business that day, having just a big spike in sales, a big spike in revenue for that one day. It's also raising the awareness of that business existence so it can continue to enjoy some increased revenues uh, even beyond the day of the cash mob. But the third and most important reason that we do the cash mob is because we like to demonstrate group economics, creating that unity, creating that unity between community and business because they're so closely related, creating a demonstration that group economics is achievable and is powerful, that's the most important piece, actually showing the results of all of us, the entire community coming together. That's uh, so how cool. do you, so, so that's a very interesting concept. So how often are you doing it and how many people are going to the stores or, or shopping at a place um, online in that aspect? Yeah. So, um, Black Brand does cash mobs throughout the year. 
Um, and B-Force Accelerator specifically does a cash mob for each cohort of one of the members of the cohort. Now, that means that they must be a product-based company because obviously if we're all mobbing, uh, cash mobbing a place with like two masseurs, then that's not going to work necessarily in three hours. Um, but we cash mob a product-based business within B-Force Accelerator. Uh, so B-Force is doing that once every 12 weeks, but even more than that now, because this year we will be running three Norfolk accelerators, two Portsmouth accelerators, and the Virginia Beach accelerator, which means that some of them will be overlapping. Uh, so we will be doing it more. You see in the calendar <laughs> and overlapping. I know the, the visual. The visual is what it's brought like it. 12, 12 layer chocolate cake. Let's go. That's right. What? Uh, and you, you, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, I'll. I'll, I'll set this up for a nice layup for you. So I'm assuming you're looking for volunteers to help make all this work. Yeah, 100%. We're always looking for people who are community focused and who want to support the entrepreneurs. You know, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, we have the business development groups. We have the entrepreneurs themselves. We have the potential founders, but the entrepreneurial ecosystem doesn't exist without the supporters, the supporters who have no affiliation, the supporters who have no loyalty to a black brand or a 757 Accelerate or a VWIC or an NSU, their loyalty is to their community. Their loyalty is to Hampton Roads. That is the blood force of this entrepreneurial ecosystem. So if you're one of those people and you want to get involved in any way from simply wanting to set up, to wanting to assist in a workshop, or wanting to be a part of a think tank or a strategic team, you can get involved. Once again, you can always call or text me or get in contact with me at blackbrand.biz. That's .biz, not .com. What a front man. I mean, you just like... I was just thinking, I was like, boy, Blair did a really... That was Talk about a smart, uh, smart pick. <laughs> Blair knew exactly what she was doing. Everyone that I've seen her hire at Black Brand comes from the world of entrepreneurship. They know what it takes to make something go from completely non-existent to here we are, there are systems, there are procedures. Um, and because she picked people with that spirit, uh, she doesn't have to ask us to stay late to make this thing work. It's already in our blood. We come from that world. We are uh, made from hunters. So that's the energy that we bring to the Black Chamber. To piggyback that, let's say you are an Uber driver or you have an Airbnb, you're an Airbnb host and someone's coming in from outside of the area for whatever reason. Where are you telling them to go? What's the place that, as a tourist, I should go in the 757? Well, as a tourist, it really is going to depend on the time of year. Um, I'm a big fan of – I'm a big fan of the mocha. Um, I love uh, the mocha down there at the oceanfront and really the entire Neon Arts District. Uh, as you guys know, before it was business, before it was tech, it was art for me. So I am sending people to the Mocha. I am sending people to the Chrysler. Uh, and you know what? The, the nerd within me also loves going to the Virginia Marine Science Museum. Uh, I've been going there since a child, and I will continue grow, going there. But also, I would invite all tourists to take a part of our um, thriving local music scene. Uh, 757 and Virginia Beach, Norfolk, uh, not only do we have an amazing local scene, but some of the biggest artists come right from this area. And I'm not talking about the obvious Pharrell, Timbaland, Missy's, even though, yes, we do still have that. But even newer artists like Masego and Drum, who are experiencing success right now as newer, younger artists, uh, are still getting pumped out of this area. Um, there's an artist right now named Shaolin who is signed to Pusha T's label who will likely be one of the next biggest R&B stars in the next two years. So if you're a tourist and you're coming to the 757, if you check out the local music scene, you might be seeing the next billboarding star, uh, billboard charting star. What what are the venues that uh, that they typically play? 
Oh, what are the typical venues that uh, rising artists will play as they, they play the Hampton Road circuit? Yeah, so um, back in the day, it was FM backstage. Now it's called Chicho's Backstage. Um, a great venue to go check out artists at on the local scene is The Bunker, which is on uh, 21st in between Atlantic and that's good to know. Zach, you there? Yeah, yeah. So I've asked that question, I think, three, four, five times now, or something like that. And um, I appreciate that those were all very new uh, answers. Um, I've, I've been to Mocha. Mocha is very interesting. Um, and, uh, the bunker I've driven by that. I have never been there. Uh, don't they have a local brewery in that bunker place too? Isn't young veterans in there or something like that? Yep. So the bunker is owned by young veterans brewing company. Uh, but yeah, those are my guys, Tommy and Neil. Uh, and there will be the Something in the Water kickoff show will be there with local artists. It's one day before Something in the Water starts. Something in the Water is Friday. That show is going to be on Thursday. And it's going to really be spotlighting uh, some of the hottest 757 talent in the area and taking advantage of all the tourists who will be there for Something in the Water and giving them an opportunity to take a look at who they'll be seeing on that Something in the Water stage next year or the year after i feel like i could talk a whole nother hour with you like the music.com uh portion of mighty dream that that you were the mc for at granby theater that was super cool to hear the different uh stories from local artists that was awesome that was an incredible opportunity uh yeah super big shout out to jd and bay mclaughlin uh for putting that thing together uh, that was an opportunity for me to see a lot of folks on the music scene who I hadn't seen in years uh, and also get to meet some new fresh faces. Uh, the fact that they were taking the time to not only highlight the local artists in the Granby Theater, but to archive these stories forever uh, for poster posterity is like, it's, uh, it's amazing. And whenever I think about the music.com, that whole concept behind it, uh, it always boggles my mind how much money Pharrell and his team much have paid to get the domain music.com. Uh, it, it had to be a silly I, Yeah, I actually talked to uh, to Robbie about that uh, when we had our first introductory call. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting story because, yeah, that's that's. That's a prime domain name for it's sure. Com. It's so crazy that <laughs> you could even still get that today. Hey, money talks, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think just what they're doing in general with not only something in the water, but Mighty Dream Firm is just breathing new life into the area. Even as you were just walking the street during Mighty Dream Forum, there was an energy amongst the so people cool. on the sidewalk. It was, it was amazing. You felt free to just stop and talk to somebody about the reason why they're there and ask them if they're in the arts or if they're in industry. Uh, and that's, that's really the type of energy that's going to make the 757B area to be for creatives. Yeah, it was I, I, like people would ask me how it was. I was like, man, that was, that, was, that was my element. I was in my element all three days. Stopping and talk to people. Uh, one guy from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, starting a coffee company, uh, hooked us up with some samples of his 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 coffee. That was awesome. I met so many people from outside of the area. The whole thing was awesome, man. I can't wait for uh, for next year. The whole is thing. That, are they doing? Is that a fall thing? Something in the water? Spring thing? I mean, is that like a? I heard people talk about that, but is that like a confirmed thing? Are they? Is that the plan? I have no idea. I hope so. It hasn't been confirmed to me, but uh, yeah, I am I am super hopeful that that can be a regular event. If there's Mighty Dream in the fall and something in the water in the spring, then this area will be energized consistently. Yep. Hmm. Anything we you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Um, no, but I do want to double down on Portsmouth applications being open for B4's Accelerator. If you know 
a business owner that is either their business is in Portsmouth or their business is anywhere, but their residence is in Portsmouth. Either of those uh, options makes them a Portsmouth-based business. So if you know a Portsmouth-based business uh, that revenues less than $2 million annually, and that has been in business for at least two years, they have an SCC document or a tax document that shows that they're more than two years old. If you know someone who meets those three requirements, it is your duty to send them to blackbrand.biz initiatives B4s accelerator. You do not want them to miss out on this opportunity, whether they're struggling to revenue $20,000 a year or whether they're doing $1.9 million a year. These are the resources that will help them grow into their vision and scale if that's what they're looking to do. Love it. What a hype, man. Brian Owens. Well, I was a front man. That was my job in the band was to be the front man. So when, oh, people, when I say I was in a band and people say, hey, what did you play? I played the microphone. If someone texted you or called you right now and said, hey, I want you to be my forever hype man, how much are you going to charge them for that? <laughs> it will probably be out of their range, unfortunately. Forever hype man is forever. <laughs> Right, man, it's a huge duty. Um, However, if someone is looking to tap into this energy, then they definitely need to come over to Black Brand because they all share in my passion and energy for helping to uplift and support this community through all entrepreneurship. I can second that. I love it. Brian, appreciate the time. Talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Brian. you guys for inviting me on the show. Like, I really appreciate that. I appreciate everything that Start Wheel does. And Zach, I do remember meeting you at an old pit. I think it might have been like a million cups or something like that um, that I met you at. I don't remember what type of pitch thing it was, but I do remember meeting Ben with uh, Scott Miles at the time. There you go. All right. Appreciate your time. Peace.